0: Thanks, Julie, and good morning to each of you here today. You know, if you read the Bible from cover to cover, one thing you'll notice is that it does not give a sanitized view of what it looks like to walk with God and what it looks like to be part of the people of God. Uh, To the contrary, it is painfully transparent, painfully honest about how complex and how difficult it is to walk with God and to walk with other people who are walking with God. You may have noticed that, actually. <clears throat> but that's one of the things that makes the Bible so fascinating and so relevant and so true to life, because this is, this is our common experience. Today's passage, for example, it raises a couple of issues that you might have expected Luke, the author of, uh, of Acts, to just kind of sweep under the rug. Just ignore it. Don't mention this. Every history is selective, right? He didn't have to put these in. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these two paragraphs, these two inst- uh, incidents are recorded. And so we, today's passage features, first of all, an unresolved conflict between two committed followers of Christ. They could not work things out, so they had to separate from one another. The other incident involves a seeming contradiction. It wasn't actually a contradiction, but it, it looked like it. But instead of ignoring these two things, uh, Luke highlights them. And he talks about how God worked either in spite of or because of these two things. The churches were continued, continued to be strengthened and to grow. Why? because those involved embodied a couple of foundational virtues. And so today's passage really challenges us to embody these same virtues as well. These are not the only virtues that we need if we're going to be a healthy, uh, growing church. But without these, we will not be the church God wants us to be. And so these are vital. They're absolutely vital. The first virtue is resilience specifically resilience in the sense of staying loyal to Jesus in spite of strife. And when I say resilience, I'm I'm talking about spiritual toughness. If you have resilience, you don't give up easily. You don't cash it in. You don't drop out of the race, specifically because somebody has been unkind to you, because you've had a disagreement with somebody, because you have been misunderstood, because you have been mistreated by somebody else in the body of Christ. No, your loyalty to Jesus is deeper than your disagreement. It's deeper than any strife you might experience. And in this paragraph, we see resilience both in Paul and in Barnabas. Verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, and they were tight, I mean, they were brothers. They had been through it together. He said, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so Paul and Barnabas were spiritual fathers to these churches that they had established. And as spiritual fathers, they cared about them. And so Paul says, let's go back to these churches and let's let's see how they are. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Luke mentions back in 1313 when they were on their their first missionary journey that that, uh, John also called Mark, John Mark, that he left them. He went back to Jerusalem. We're not told why he did, but he did. And so, Uh, Whatever the issue, Barnabas wanted to take him on this trip to revisit the churches, but Paul disagreed. We read that Paul thought best not to take him. Another way to translate it has the sense of he considered him unworthy of taking him with them. As we'll see in the next paragraph as well, Paul was all about effectiveness. and Paul didn't think that, that this young man, John Mark, was would be effective on this mission that they were going on. Well, Barnabas did not defer to Paul. He stood his ground. And so even though they were both very spiritually mature, even though they were both sold out to the mission that Jesus had given them, they could not agree. No amount of talking, no amount of explanation was going to solve it. So, verse 39 and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord we know from Colossians 4 that that uh, Barnabas and and uh, John Mark were cousins and so maybe there was this maybe there was this family loyalty everything we also also everything we're told about about Barnabas in the book of acts would suggest that he had this gift maybe even this calling to include people and welcome people who were on the margins he had done that for paul he's the one that introduced paul to the the elders and the apostles in jerusalem after he had 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 this miraculous conversion on the road to to damascus this was barnabas's gift and so that's that's what he did. He took Mark. He sailed to Cyprus, where they had led people to Christ. And in spite of his disagreement with Paul, he remained loyal to Jesus. He remained on mission. But Paul chose Silas to accompany him to visit the churches in Asia Minor. We saw that described the these, these establishment of these churches in chapters thirteen and fourteen. And the result is given in verse 41. And, the, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so in spite of his disagreement with Barnabas, Paul remained loyal to Jesus, and he remained on mission. And as a result, the churches were strengthened and established. And so both Paul and Barnabas were resilient. They were spiritually tough in spite of the strife that they experienced as brothers in Christ, as soldiers in the spiritual battle, in spite of their, their strife, they remain loyal to Jesus. And so the fact that this rift between Paul and Barnabas is even included in the book of Acts, it suggests at least a couple of things. Number one, it suggests that sharp disagreements and separations among committed believers are a reality in the body of Christ. Can I say that out loud? It's a reality in the body of Christ that committed believers sometimes will have such a sharp disagreement that they can't work together. They can't fellowship together. Sometimes they stay in the same church and they're involved in different things. They keep their distance, but they cannot have close fellowship anymore. The larger the church, the easier that is. Sometimes the disagreement is so severe that they can't remain in the same churches, the same church. And so either one or both will go to other churches. That's a reality. Something else I need to say out loud. Over the 36-year history of this church, hundreds of people, good, spiritual, mature followers of Christ, have left this church because of disagreements. And I suspect... I don't know how to count it, but I suspect that hundreds of others, solid, committed Christians from other churches have left those churches because of sharp disagreements and have come to be part of this church. Perhaps some of you are in that category. That's a spiritual reality. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they could not remain on the same team. It doesn't mean that it's good. Uh, The New Testament everywhere pleads with us to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We are to work hard to maintain our unity. We're to clothe ourselves with humility. We're to put aside the deeds of the flesh like, like outbursts of anger and dissensions and divisions. We're to put those aside to avoid divisions, strife. We're to be the, the type of people that progressively uh, we less and less, we have fewer and fewer conflicts because of who we are, and when those conflicts happen, we're the type of people that work hard to reconcile and to work things out. And So don't hear me saying that this is not a big deal to separate. It is. It's painful. It is traumatic sometimes, but it's a reality in the body of Christ. And so we should follow Paul's advice. I assume Paul followed his own advice with Barnabas, Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so I would say this to you. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody in this church and in the body of Christ. But Paul and Barnabas illustrate that it's not always possible it doesn't only depend upon you sometimes you cannot live at peace with everybody in the body of Christ and that leads to the second thing that this passage suggests namely that we should be resilient when and if that happens we shouldn't we shouldn't be spiritually soft we shouldn't say well i'm offended i'm not walking with christ anymore no we should be resilient enough to stay loyal to Jesus anyway. Like Paul and Barnabas were, they stayed resilient, and the church continued to grow. They stayed on mission. And so my question for you is, how resilient are you in light of the disagreements that you have experienced, the strife, perhaps the separations that you have experienced with others in the body of Christ? Have you ever felt like giving up because of conflict in the church. I bet you have. I have. My darkest days as a pastor, my darkest days as a follower of Christ, involve unresolved conflicts and separations with others, not with nominal Christians, but with committed, devoted followers of Christ where no amount of talking, no amount of negotiation could mend the rift. And by God's grace, I've never, never had a desire to walk away from Christ. I've had a desire to walk away from the church. But again, by his grace, God has brought me back to this place of glad submission, not grudging, but glad submission, where I love being part of the church. I'm back to this calling to be a pastor here. And, uh, it's been a hard-fought battle at time, but God has used amazing. He's used Scripture, like 1 Corinthians 4, an amazing passage where Paul says, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you. I don't know if you judge myself. I may, be, I may have a clean conscience, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. God is the one who's going to judge all of us. There's this great freedom in that. And God has used many of you, honestly. Some of you are so resilient. Some of you come alongside me, and you've helped me have the mind of Christ. You haven't told me what I wanted to hear all the time, but you've told me what I needed to hear, and you have helped me see what my identity is and what the truth is. And so God has sustained me. God's given me a degree of resilience. And increasingly, I have very little desire to do the autopsy one more time on that relationship or that situation. It's okay that I can't figure it out. It's okay. And if we're going to be a strong, healthy church, we all need this. We all need this resilience where we're more loyal, where we're loyal to Jesus in spite of relational strife. I mean, honestly, Jesus died for us. How can we not continue to live for him? The second virtue, it's no easier than the first, and it's selflessness sacrificing our freedom, freedoms for the sake of the gospel. And by selflessness, I don't mean that you never think about yourself. We think about ourselves. And by selflessness, uh, I'm not saying that, that you let people trample down your boundaries and that type of thing. No, I'm, I'm talking about we not only think about ourselves, but we also think about others and how our lives might impact others coming to Christ, and walking with Christ, sacrificing freedoms for the sake of the gospel. These verses describe how Paul and Silas returned to the churches that they had established in in Asia Minor. In verse 1, we're introduced to a young man named Timothy. Verse 1, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy. And so he, was, he had come to Christ on Paul's first visit to their, their region. But notice how his uh, parents are described. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And so his mother was a Jewish woman who had also, like him, uh, come to faith in Christ when Paul had, had visited, but his father was Greek, he was from Greece originally, or his family was from Greece, so he was a Gentile. He was non-Jewish. We learn in verse two that Timothy had a good reputation. Verse two, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And because of this reputation, we're going to see in the following verses that Paul wanted him to be part of the missionary team that would go back and strengthen churches and establish other churches. And this young man, Timothy, would become one of Paul's most beloved and trusted friends and companions. Uh, years later, Paul would write to him the letters that we know as First and Second Timothy. But we read this. Are you ready? Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. If you were with us last week, this may be a shocking thing to hear that Paul took him and circumcised him, presumably with his consent, okay? (laughs) But he took him and circumcised him. If you were with us last week, we saw that, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they were leading people, leading Gentiles to Christ, and they were welcoming them as full members of the body of Christ. But some Jewish Christians from, from Jerusalem came and they said, no. If they're really going to be saved, they also have to be circumcised. They need the sign of the covenant. And Paul and Barnabas said, no, that can't be the case. And so they went to Jerusalem and they appealed to the apostles and the elders there and they argued that that we shouldn't put this burden on the Gentiles. They discussed it, they prayed. It seemed good to them, good to the Holy Spirit. No, we're not going to burden the, the Gentiles with circumcision. And there were these four very, very sane uh, requirements they involved, abstaining from practices and sins that were especially associated with idol worship. That's all they should put on the Gentiles, those requirements. But they did not have to be circumcised to be saved. So why would Paul take Timothy and circumcise him? It's a seeming contradiction. Well, it certainly had nothing to do with salvation. Rather, Luke tells us it was because of the Jews who were in those places, for they knew that his father was a Greek. And so Paul didn't want these Jews that he still wanted to reach. He he wasn't only concerned about Gentiles. He didn't want these Jews to be thinking about Timothy and the fact that he wasn't circumcised. He didn't want that to be a, a barrier to them. Because in their mind and in that culture, if you had a Jewish mom and you were not circumcised, then you were an apostate Jew, the, the perception, this wasn't the case, but the perception was is that Timothy would have been a person who had abandoned the Jewish faith. We know from 1 Timothy 3 that Timothy was raised on the Hebrew Scriptures, and so he, he had a rich Jewish heritage. But Paul didn't want the people he was trying to reach thinking about Timothy not being circumcised. He wanted them to think about the possibility that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he didn't want this barrier to the gospel. And Timothy agreed. He could have said, no, I don't have to be circumcised, so I'm not going to be circumcised. But he agreed. He sacrificed his freedom for the sake of the gospel. And his willingness to be circumcised reflected Paul's comment expressed in 1 Corinthians 9. This is what we read there. Also said, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Then verse 22, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." And so without compromising his theology without violating his conscience Paul voluntarily sacrificed his freedoms in order to remove barriers to the gospel. That's why he wanted Timothy to be circumcised. And that type of selflessness and again it's a selflessness where you don't ask the question what what are what do what is my right but you ask the question what do others need to come to Christ. That type of selflessness is so rare in our day. I mean, we are so committed to our rights and our freedoms that it just doesn't occur to us to ask the questions that they asked. But they asked the question, not what is my right, but what will help people come to Christ? And to clarify, I'm not talking about when people come in and say, you have to give up this right. Paul would have none of that You you read in in, uh, Galatians 2 when they wanted to circumcise Titus. He said, absolutely not. The spirit of that was very different. But voluntarily laying aside freedoms out of compassion for others. That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul and Timothy did. And so since they cared so much about the people who needed a relationship with God, they asked the question, will this behavior or will this issue help or hinder the people from hearing the gospel? And if it hindered the gospel, even if they had the freedom to do it, at times anyway, they laid those freedoms aside, at least for a time. And so I would say that the health of this church And the fruitfulness of this church depends on whether or not we are selfless people, whether we live only for ourselves or we also ask, how does my behavior, how do my words and my behavior affect whether other people can hear the gospel? In verse 4, Luke mentions the decision of the Jerusalem council, which removed barriers for the gospel, uh, to the gospel for Gentiles, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so they were sensitive not only to how the Gentiles, the Jews would receive the gospel, but also removing barriers for uh, the Jews as well, and the Gentiles as well. Verse 5, here's the fruit. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. The result? Was, was stronger, more fruitful churches. And that didn't happen by accident. It happened because they were selfless, their selflessness. So exactly what does this selflessness look like for me? You may be wondering that. Uh, what, what freedoms are you saying, Steve, that I need to give up so that others might hear the gospel more clearly? That's a question I cannot answer. It's a question I will not answer, because this is not. It's there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to those questions. Uh, the answers will vary from person to person. Here's my recommendation: if you really want to think this through, uh, think about it this way. You know, when we send missionaries to other cultures, uh, we assume they're not going to live in a bubble, and they don't. They don't go and live in a bubble. No, they go and they enter into a culture without violating their theology or their conscience, they enter into the culture as deeply as they can. And they ask the question, they ask questions like, is there anything, and they study the culture. I mean, they spend massive amounts of time studying the culture so that they don't say and do things that will create unnecessary barriers to the gospel. The gospel itself is offensive enough, okay? We don't need to add unnecessary barriers to the gospel. And so we, we send people to other cultures to move into, the, into those cultures, to invest time and energy, develop honest friendships with people who need Christ. And they don't just bring their words, they bring their lives. They say, this is the gospel, this is the message. You want to know what it looks like? Hang out with me see the way I think and, and talk and live my life. And so they pray that's selflessness. They aren't only thinking about themselves, but also, also others who need Christ. And our conviction here at Faith is that we have no right to send people to other cultures to have that mindset, mindset and to make those sacrifices if we don't all also have the same mindset and make the same sacrifices in our culture. That's just pure hypocrisy. If we say, you do it, but us, we're sticking to our rights, our freedoms. We're not going to sacrifice anything, but we believe you should. And so my question for you is this week, will you pay attention to yourself? Will you pay attention to your our culture this week? Uh, when you go into your neighborhood, into your workplace, wherever you hang out. Invite God to show you ways that you can be more selfless for the sake of the gospel, ways you might sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Be curious about other people. Look for ways to have honest friendships with other people. Ask yourself, or if you really want to know, ask somebody who knows you well, Ask them the question, is there anything I'm saying, anything I'm doing, in person or online, is there anything that creates unnecessary barriers for the gospel? That's selflessness. You're not asking the question, what can I do before God? We have all these rights. We have all these freedoms. I'm saying, what, what, what can I do for others how can i be how can i remove barriers for others to hear the gospel and so what i'm urging us to do is seek god about living selfless lives and when we really seek god the pressure is off so i'm not saying figure this out i'm not saying force something i'm not saying manufacture something i'm saying seek god and see where he leads he's much more creative than you are seriously he's smart He knows how you should live your life. And I'll tell you this, the most joyful, satisfied people I know are people who do this, people who seek God wholeheartedly, and they have this selflessness about them. There's freedom in that. There really is. And so don't hear me saying, here's a joyless drudgery because you're missing out on all these things. No, I'm saying you're you're getting in on what God is doing in this world. And so, resilience, selflessness, these are two virtues that we must embody if we're going to be the church God wants us to be. Heavenly Father, we invite you to show us what is true of our lives, to show us what should be true of our lives. God, we we trust you. You have proven beyond doubt that uh, you are God who loves us. You're for us. And God, what an amazing thing that you include us in what you're doing in this world, God, when it comes to resilience, we pray, God, for for ourselves. God, we pray that we would be a church that fights for unity, fight for one another, not fight with one another. We pray we'd be peacemakers and not troublemakers. We pray, God, that we would be people who, who sacrifice relationally. Oh, God, we also pray that we would be people who are resilient when there is strife, that we would seek you and serve you no matter what what. And we ask, God, that you would give us, give us the will to sacrifice freedoms for the sake of the gospel, because we believe that you love people infinitely and that everybody will spend eternity somewhere. God, we want them to know you, spend eternity with you. And so make us the type of people we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen.